Okay, three of you, you're, you're recovering. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting new year. I'm really excited. I, I posted something on Facebook because this is how I think the Lord wants me to attack the new year. Brandy, will you, uh, in fact, I, I, it might be a visual of me, but I want you to see this. Some of you already seen it, and if you haven't seen it, I hope you can enjoy it. My favorite part, before she plays this, I want you to watch his legs after he goes off the dining board. This is <laughs> That's my favorite part. I mean, just a face plant, right? That's what the New Year's about. It's about diving into it. And so that's our goal. I don't even know if I was knocked out or not, and I don't really care. I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. But I don't even know. But my point is, I, I believe that. Uh, there was a pastor who was my pastor when I was growing up. His name was Reverend Fenton Moorhead. And he baptized me in the YMCA swimming pool. I'll never forget, I was 18 years old. And he was an incredible man of God. He was one of these wild, fire, kind of crazy guys, uh, took a cross and, 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 and went across a part of Europe carrying a cross and, and just, I just lived large and, and lived boldly for the Lord. And so one of the things that I've noticed is, and he said something that I thought was powerful. He's getting up in his years. But he said, you know what? Why don't we stop saying Happy New Year? And I thought, all right, where are we going? I can kind of track this. He said, why don't we stop saying Happy New Year instead of, and why don't we start saying make it count as a new year? And I thought, hmm, that, that preach. That's a good word. Make it count. And so for me, that is what I feel like the Lord wants us to move in and to press into. And so I know some of you that have been here with us in this journey are excited about the word of the year. And I purposefully did not put that on Facebook or on anything else or on our website at summitcharleston.com so that you would get to hear it here first. Because the Lord, every year, you know God has given me a word. And for those that are here, tell the truth, say that they're all, it has been right on, spot on, dead on. And so God wants us to see something in this. So now, I think we need to look at the ability and the authority of Jesus Christ. In this new year, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, get back, get past the past and step into a new future. I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about it. Don't, don't, don't hear me. Don't hear me wrong. I, I, I'm all about it. But what I'm more about is what is God doing. Because I know this, that if I step away from my past and I step into what I want it to be, I'm still stepping in the same mud, somebody. I'm still stepping into the same stuff, somebody, unless I'm stepping into where Jesus has already walked. Because where Jesus has already walked has been burned up and already set on fire for me and blazed the path that I can walk in, right? Because then what John the Baptist said, make straight the will of the Lord, make straight the way of the Lord, make straight paths for the Lord. So that's the way I'm going to walk into it. And so I want you to think about this year is what would a year look like if we just follow Jesus? I'm not talking about your salvation. Majority of you in here, you're already born again, saved, sanctified, you're not French fried, you're good to go. Like I got you. But you and I know that following Jesus is the toughest, is the most difficult, is the most rewarding, and it's like John Piper said, I would rather get a smile from Jesus than 10,000 frowns from somebody else because his, his smile would be, be more worthy and more satisfying because when you walk with Jesus, you're going to get frowns from the world. So what does it look like? John Selhammer talked about this. He was a wonderful man of God. Come to be with Jesus. He was a professor at seminary uh, while we and he talked about in Mark chapter 4, at the end of Mark chapter 4 through 5, he said this, Jesus is portrayed as one of his authority over our great enemies. This year, when we walk with Jesus, we're going to walk in the victory that he has over our enemies. Now, in this, in this passage, or this passage, I, I want you to see some things. There's four enemies that he talks about. Silhammer identifies in this right there in the scripture. There are storms, there are spirits, there's disease and death. Storms, spirits, disease, and death. But when you and I understand the authority that Jesus has and the walking that, everything else changes. So let's look at Mark chapter 4, verse 37. Mark chapter 4, 
verse 37, and you're going to get to see where Jesus has authority over storms. So to walk with the Lord this year, to really walk with the Lord, I'm getting to the word of the year, don't worry, I forgot you. To walk with the Lord means that we're going to have to encounter people that are in storms, or maybe there's an overflow where God takes us, where we too enter in a storm. But notice that we don't enter in without the presence of Jesus, Mark 4, 37. And you get to see this, 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Notice the peace of Christ in the midst of a storm. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet. Be still, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And in verse 41, I'm gonna add this, said they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In other words, here is Jesus showing that he has authority over storms. Now, and really to understand this, listen, we gotta go back a little bit. We gotta go back to understand the authority of Christ. I want you to see what Christ is doing in this. And so I have make note of this. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 and 9. In Genesis 1, 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and what, saints? Yeah, empty. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Notice what the waters meant. The waters meant that it was formless and it was empty. When, when floods, let me put it to you in modern day vernacular, when floods come in our life, sometimes we feel empty. Hello? Hello, somebody. Sometimes we feel formless. I don't know where I'm going. I just know that the sea is raging this way, this way, and that way. But then in verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God took the waters and separated the waters so that there was dry ground. Now, you continue reading, what did God do on the dry ground? He made man out of the dry ground. He took the rib of Adam and made Eve out of the dry ground and breathed in the breath of life. In other words, dry ground produced life. There in Genesis 2, dry ground became in the Garden of Eden, with which God began to say, I want man to cultivate it. Dry ground, he was rebuking the, the water so that the land could produce what it was supposed to produce. So here when Jesus is rebuking the waves, that's why the disciples went at all because they're going back in their minds to Torah. They're going back to the first five books of the Bible saying, here's something that Jesus has authority like God had. Listen, you got to understand the story. Think about what happened there in Scripture. When Adam and Eve sinned, and sin began in the world. God said, look, I'm going to go back to formless and empty. I'm going to go back to formless and empty. So I'm going to take Noah, I'm going to take his family, and I'm going to put him on the ark. And everybody else, because there's no unrighteous, everybody else is going to be wiped out. In other words, the water's going to come back over the land, and we're going to start all over again. And here Jesus is saying, I rebuke the wind. I rebuke the storm. He is saying, I am like God of the Old Testament because I am that I am. He is the New Testament I am. He is God. So he is saying that, think about in Psalm, how about the Red Sea in Psalm 106 verse 9. God rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led him through the depths as though through a desert. Here it is again. God is rebuking waters to produce dry land, to calm the seas. It's authority. Jesus is speaking authority language when he rebukes the furious wall, when he rebukes the storm. He is saying, I have authority to set back the destruction language. How about when they crossed the Jordan River? It was parted, and they walked through on dry ground. It's the same principle. God's rebuking the water so that man can do what he's called to do. That's what Jesus was doing. Thus, I love what he said, when Jesus stilled the raging sea, he was demonstrating that he had authority over humankind and Israel's age-old enemy called the sea. 
So what God is saying to us is this. Trust my authority. All right, so in Mark 4, we see that, it's a, that he has authority over storm. But what about in Mark chapter 5? You go to Mark chapter 5, you see this crazed demoniac who has so many demons inside him, they're called legion, that they come at him and, and you know, why do you come here to torment us? What do you want with us? And Jesus is going to cast the demons into the pigs. They're going to run off into off the cliff into the sea because the sea represents the abyss, represents destruction, represents a foreshadowing of hell, that type of language. You get to see here that Jesus is, I want you to see this, that Jesus is showing his authority over spirits. So whatever spirits you encounter in your daily walk, whatever spirits you encounter in, in, in work or in your apartment life or dorm life or in your workout life or in your job life or in your family life, whatever spirits, Jesus says, I have authority over them. So he has authority over storms. He has authority over spirit. And what happened at the end? What happened at the end when they cast out the spirits? What did the people say? They were amazed. The storm, the disciple says, we're amazed. We don't, we don't know what's going on. What happened when he cast out the spirit in Mark chapter 5? The, the people said they saw the, the crazy demoniac in his right mind. And they said, look, um, this is freaking us out. Uh, Jesus, you've got to go away. We, we've never seen like that. The man had no more raging sea inside him, no more raging torment inside him. It was gone because Jesus had authority. So you see this authority language. Uh, we, we see that how about that he's, um, he has uh, over disease. He has authority over disease. And Mark chapter 5, you get to see again the woman who comes up and touches the robe of Jesus. She has the issue of blood and she is bleeding and all her money has been spent on doctors. And Jesus is walking around and people are bumping onto him. They're going to the synagogue ruler's house because his little daughter is dying. But by the time they get there, she's going to be dead. And you're walking through there. And all of a sudden, this lady touches the very edge of his garment. And knowing and believing that he is the word of God, uh, preach on that so you can understand that. And then all of a sudden, he feels power go out from him. We get to see this in Mark chapter uh, uh, 5 there. We get to see that all this, this disease that is gone is gone because she touched Jesus. Jesus can speak his authority. We can touch his authority, the Lord was showing me. Uh, or we can look to him. Jesus said, if I'm high and lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. Or we can call to him, but either way, he is speaking his authority. He speaks his authority over disease. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from what? Their eyes. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Jesus has authority over storms. He has authority over spirits. He has authority over disease. And in Mark chapter 5, we see the last of these enemies where Jesus exposes his authority and, and, and shows his authority and demonstrates his authority. He has authority over death. So he goes, after the woman touches him, he goes to the synagogue woman's house. And there is a little girl. And she's dead. And I want us to look at something here. Go to Mark chapter 5, verse 35. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why? Father, the teacher anymore. If John Selhammer would interpret this, Jesus had no authority over death. Here's what I'm trying to say to you today. Here's what some people say. Jesus can't fix that. Jesus can't heal that. Jesus has no authority over that. That's too far gone. She's too far gone. He's too, listen, I want to tell you today that Jesus has authority over death. Now, for some of y'all that uh, know my friend Chip Rice, he spoke here last year uh, when the students came in, actually it was a year and a half ago, and so he spoke 
and he's a pastor in um, North Carolina, and he spoke and he said some powerful things. But there was there was a, a guy that was dying just recently, two days ago, and they had given up on him. And Chip and some other people, they prayed over him. They prayed over this guy. And this guy that was supposed to die in the hospital, he's done. Like he's at death's door. All of a sudden, he is healed. He's sitting up eating, watching TV, and nothing is wrong. That's the authority that Jesus has, but most people do not realize that. So we get to see this. We get to see that Jesus has authority. Let's keep reading there. Verse 36, overhearing what they, uh, what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just what, saints? Now, that word, verse 36, verse 36, it says overhearing. There's another translation to that. I don't like the word overhearing in the Greek. I believe there's other translators that translate it a little better. And they said this word, ignoring. Maybe your Bible has that on your phone. Maybe it has that uh, in the Bible that you're reading, but ignoring. Listen, I want to say this. When Jesus has authority over our lives, then we can ignore. I'll go over here. Then we can ignore what people have to say. Look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, sometimes you've got to ignore what people tell you. Sometimes you've got to ignore what yourself tells you. Sometimes you've got to ignore what circumstances tell you. Sometimes you've got to ignore what your feelings say. Because here's the only person that has authority in our lives. The only one that has authority is the one who has given us life and created us a new life and is going to give us eternal life. The only one who has authority, his name is who? That's right. So he's the only one. And you, we ignore any voice other than the voice of the Holy Spirit. I love what Jesus did. He didn't ignore him. He didn't. That's what he did. He just ignored him. He didn't give any acknowledgement to him. He didn't have to placate them. He just kept doing what the Father was telling him to do. Why? Because when you do what Jesus tells you to do, you'll do what only he can do. And you will show the authority of him and of nobody else. That's the authority that Jesus has. So ignoring. Sometimes you've got to ignore. That's the beginning to the word of the year. Sometimes you've got to ignore what people say. Ignoring what they had said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brothers of James. You, you listen, I have a little, the Bible doesn't say this, but I have a little theory behind that. Here's my theory. Sometimes Jesus didn't let people follow him unless they believed. Sometimes he didn't let people follow him unless they had the openness to believe. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying, crying and wailing loudly. The world reacts differently than the Lord, don't they? He went in and said to them, while this commotion and wailing, the child is not dead, but asleep. Verse 40. Come on, somebody, let's talk a little bit about verse 40. But what does the world do? What does the world do when we try to show the authority of the Lord? What does the world do? What do they do? They what, saints? They laugh at it. People will laugh at us. People will laugh where you're going. People will laugh. You're saying, God's called you to what? You're going to step out and do what? You can't do. Listen, they will laugh at the authority of Jesus Christ. But here's what happens. They might laugh now, but they will bow. Yeah, I'll talk to myself today. They will bow later. I'm just going to talk to myself. Because some of y'all, y'all still, we're going to have to get some coffee in y'all too. All right, here we go. So they laughed at him. People will laugh. But I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus is the one who satisfies me, then it doesn't matter to me who mocks me. Because people are going to mock you. They're going to mock you in coaching, Coach Kelly. They're going to mock you. They're going to make fun of you. Listen, that's the way it's going to happen. Sharon knows what I'm talking about. She's seen her husband. Wait, people, when you stand for the Lord, listen, it goes against the grain of everything else. People will laugh at us. People laugh at me moving into uh, pastor. People laugh at that. They thought I was crazy. Here's what I want them to know. They have one, they're one who is right. And there's only one who is good, and his name is Jesus, and that's the one we're going to follow. So people are going to laugh all they want, but there will be a day when they stop laughing. 
After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Somebody's got to get up. Immediately the girl stood up. I love it. I love the word immediately. I love that because it means that there was no hesitation. There was no delay in response. When Jesus speaks, Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, somebody. At this, they were completely astonished. At this, they were completely astonished. The key point here is to say, the people who saw Jesus as a healer and a miracle worker were completely astonished that he had authority over death. When somebody says the relationship is dead, I'll go over here. When somebody says that there's no way you can make that great, then when somebody says there's no way your grandchild will be listen when God, listen when God says something, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what they say. But they were astonished. Why? And listen, there are a lot of believers. Let me talk to the believers. There are a lot of believers that will be astonished by Jesus. Because they'll believe that Jesus, how could Jesus really do that? Here's where we have to get to the point and understand that Jesus will uh, tear down who he wants to tear down and lift up who he wants to lift up. And all we need to do is respond to say, praise the Lord. It's our responsibility just to follow him. So this year, instead of making, trying to make this year count, we let Jesus make it count. And he makes the way and he burns up all the enemies of him. He burns up all the storms, even though we will walk through the valley. Mm-hmm. So he burns up the storm, he burns up the spirits, he burns up the disease, and he burns up death. Now, I didn't say none of that will happen. What I did say is that we will go through when it happens, and it will not stop the work of the Lord in us, because nothing can stop Jesus. So that's what I want you to see. So we walk with our heads up. We walk with our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, and we walk in the blazing trail. Here's what I love about the blazing trail. The blazing trail of Jesus always leads us to the gates of hell. Y'all not following me. Will always lead us to the gates of hell. Here's the, here's the life that doesn't lead to the gates of hell. Follow yourself, follow your dreams, follow what you want to do, and go ahead and get you a little boat, go ahead and get you some land, go ahead and live the easy life, and just get away from everybody else and everything else, and then one day, and only one day, when you face death and death's door. But until then, you can eat, drink, and be married, but tomorrow, we die. See, that's the easy life. The easy life is to get away. To follow the life of Christ is to walk through everything that Christ has already given victory over. That's what he's going to lead us and how he's going to lead us. So the Lord was speaking to me. To the best I can see the he said, John, he said, I have all authority. Uh, listen, let me just put it you this way. What did Matthew 28 mean? Matthew 28, come on somebody. Verse 18, what does he say? Then Jesus came to them and said, what did he say? Matthew 28, 18, in the beginning of the Great Commission. All what, saints? Uh-huh. All authority. All authority in heaven. Sometimes we forget that. All authority in heaven and on what? See, here's what's interesting. It's interesting. It starts in heaven before it's finished. So it starts in heaven. So what happens? Most people go back when they try to start something on earth and invite God into it. They try to invite God into it. But here's what happens. It starts in heaven. Everything points back to Jesus. And starts with Jesus. And then it overflows in our life. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. So the Lord showed me this. He said, John, this is what I want you to communicate. This is where we're going this year. When we walk by the authority of Jesus Christ. When we walk this year by the authority. There's not a marriage, there's not a job, there's not one person in your high school that's not under the authority of Jesus Christ. I've told you and I'll tell you again, like John Piper said, what about, like the, the, the lady a couple years ago that my uh, twin sister had to deal with, she took a hot curling iron and put it on the baby's front bottom. I told y'all this, this one-year-old baby, put it on her front bottom and held it there until she stopped crying. Where is God? In the atrocity of that evil. Where is he? I'll tell you where our Lord Jesus Christ is. He is storing up wrath, somebody. He is storing up wrath. And one day, that mother 
It's a very easy answer, family. When people say, where is God when bad things happen? He is storing up almighty wrath. It is coming. But here's what I want us to say. When we understand that God has authority, even on that, when we understand that God has authority over that, you ready for the word of the year? No? You ready? When we walk by the authority of God, here is the word of the year that God wants for us, that God is asking us, and when we walk by the authority of Jesus Christ, we will have drum roll. Here we are. We will walk by the authority of Jesus Christ. We will have drum roll. Here we go. If we walk by the authority of Jesus Christ, we will have courage. That's the word of the year. And you know what that means for you and I? You will need courage. Kevin, your son, it's going to liberty. I know you're personally going to party. But deep down, it's going to take courage. For you in this room and for me in this room, God is going to ask us to do things and to walk with Him. And the only way we will ever say yes is to have courage. I'm telling you, I'm speaking a prophetic word, and I feel it. I feel the Holy Spirit as if in my, like Jeremiah 1, Jeremiah chapter uh, 1, you know, where he says, I knew you before I formed you in the womb, and then he confirms that in Jeremiah chapter 20, where he's like, God, I don't want to say your word, but then I don't want to speak your word, because I feel like when I speak your word, life just gets tougher, so I'm just not going to speak it. But then in this paraphrase, you heard what Jeremiah said. He goes, but when I don't speak it, it's like fire in my bones. I feel like there's a fire coming through the marrow of my bones. And I feel like he's trying to say, John, when we as a church family walk with God, we are going to need courage. Now, if you don't do what God tells you to do, you, that doesn't mean that you're going to burn in hell. Because our righteousness does not come from uh, ourselves, but it comes from Jesus Christ. And when we are faithless, he is what, saints? The huh, 2 Timothy 2.13. So I'm not saying that anybody in this room can lose your salvation because if you can lose your salvation, then you have earned your salvation, which means you don't really don't have salvation. So you better check yourself on that one. So what I am saying is this, is that if we walk with Jesus, it's going to take courage. I personally am going to have to depend desperately on the strength of the Holy Spirit to do what God has asked me to do. And I am one sometimes in my flesh don't want to do what God asked me to do. But you and I will need courage. If it's to stay at your job, then give God's going to give you courage. And for you to take a step in a new place, God's going to give you courage. If it's for you and I to stand up to our family members and say, you know what? We love you even though you despise us, but we choose to walk with Jesus instead of walking with anybody else. It is going to take courage. But we can never have courage unless we understand that Jesus is in control. So the word of the year is courage, but then the Lord convicted me. He said, John, you just gave them a word that was more about them than about me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, even she said amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm telling the truth. And so that's why, really, it's a compound word this, this year. Authority of Jesus equals, the cur equals courage and belief. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by this word courage? What, what, what? See, here it is. Because Jesus has authority, we can have courage. That's the point of today. God is going to call us to be people of courage. It's missing in the world. Courage is missing. Courage is missing. Listen, nobody stands up for nothing unless it's something either they want. And very few people stand up for what Jesus wants. Uh, listen, I'll go ahead and say it. All you got to look at is politics. Listen, if I try to please man, I know I can get elected. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. I know I can get elected. Why? Because as long as I'm making it about you, I'm going to be okay. But the moment I try to make it about Jesus, again, we are swimming upstream. And it's going to take nothing but courage to do that. But the only way we're ever going to take a step is to believe that Jesus is sovereign and has authority. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all ethnic, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, that means if you're flying an airplane, and never mind, and I am, I am with you what? Always. Here's why we can have courage. Because when Jesus has authority, that means he is with us. 
Jeremiah 1 9. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you. You know, all that chapter is replete. Be strong, be strong, be very strong, be very courageous, very courageous. God is calling us into a place to follow Him. So, so if Jesus has the authority, we can have courage. What does courage mean? What is the idea of it? I want to give you a point, just two quick points about courage. When Jesus has authority, we get courage because He's given us a new heart. It is within us to do it. So I'm telling uh, you today, I'm telling myself today, it is within us to do it. So uh, I want to, I want to share this with you. What the word courage, it comes, it goes to, if you went to a, if you studied the etymology behind it, here's what it means. If you tread all through Middle English, right, think Shakespearean language, or in the Old English, and no, by the way, let's just get it right. Old English, you and I can't speak. That's called High West German. So when people in your class, like you've got to go English teachers and say, this is an Old English, just remind them they couldn't speak Old English if they wanted to. And then you get an F and then you blame me and they'll be all right. All right, so. So then the Old English kind of goes through different dialects, but it gets to French. Uh, that, that word, the word for courage, is a compound word, cur and age, cur and age. It goes all the way back to Latin, but the word cur in, in, in French and the word cur in, in, in Latin means this. It means heart. Look it up yourself. Courage means heart. This is why it's so beautiful. Ezekiel 11, 19. And so uh, I'm going to use two chapters as our springboard. Last year, it was uh, in Colossians 1. You, we can say Christ in you, the hope of glory. Last year, the word was hope. It focused everything on Christ, that he was our hope and the hope of the gospel, what the gospel brings. But the gospel brings courage because it reminds us that Jesus has authority. So we get to see this. So we can see this point that Jesus has authority. We get courage because he gives us a new heart. Where does courage come from? It comes from the heart. It's not something that I'm going to, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to have courage. I, I know I'm going to step up and, and I'm just going to tackle this person. I know I'm just going to go out there and do it because I'm going to will myself to do it. You can't do that in, 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 in walking with Christ. So Ezekiel 11, 19, what does he say? To the people that are in exile, you've got this prophet that's in exile. Israel is destroyed. And for 20-some years, he's living in this land of exile in Babylon. And yet, God is speaking powerfully to this man. And he says, this is what I'm going to do to the people in exile. I will give them, I will give them a what? Undivided heart. Now, it doesn't mean undivided just between us, but it means we don't have a divided heart with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says we have the mind of Christ. It says I'll give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. That's because we're going to get the Holy Spirit. I will, I will remove from them their heart stone and give them a heart of flesh. Now, this is repeated. It's a reminder that I am going to restore. I am going to restore. I'm going to give them courage. In the midst of exile, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of an evil spirit, in, in the midst of disease, in the midst of death, we can have courage because Jesus is in control. Watch what I'm saying here. Verse 30, uh, excuse me, Ezekiel 36, 26. And these are the two chapters. So Robbie, I want you to declare with me because we're getting ready to do something. So I, I need Robbie to kind of prophetically, whatever you want to do, Robbie, on the guitar, on the key, pads, whatever you want to do, man, let the Lord just lead you in this. But here, Ezekiel 36, 26. And this is where it gets so powerful to me in the Lord. Then we look at this prophet and we see what this prophet's going to do. And so Ezekiel 36 and chapter 37, we get to see what it looks like to have courage. And now we're going to take what the Lord is doing there and we're going to place it upon us. And it will be a model for us of what we need to do. Look at Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a what, saints? A new. And that, now notice in, a, in chapter 11, this is undivided. See, when I have a heart, here's how it works. Um, so if I have a heart for Christ, and you have a heart for Christ, then our relationship is undivided. What God has put together, let no man do what? Yeah, you can't break a marriage that God brings. Try to walk away and sin. Listen, the most miserable people in the world are not people that sin. The most miserable people in the world.
heart. He gives us a heart of flesh that's moldable, that it can continually circumcise, continually cut away the hardness of our heart. When we get convicted, when we sin, he cuts it all away. He puts it all away. Why? Because the new heart will always have courage that Jesus can do what man cannot. Back to the promised land, if you will. 
out the heart of stone. He gives us the heart of flesh. So 
But I'm better than the word ruach. You can look it up on your phone if you've got blue letter Bible or Bible study tools or whatever else. I'm better than the word ruach, which means spirit, wind, breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to him that this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds. Sounds like Revelation language to me. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesy as he commanded and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet and vast army. This is what the Lord showed me, that we can prophesy, but only he can bring life.
you are.